0: So I, I really set out on this path of trying to understand why risk for addiction is so highly concurrent with risk for other mental health concerns. And, um, and, and what is it about those risk factors that translate, that make young people more vulnerable to using and misusing substances? So what, what, what is it about having a, a slight learning difficulty or attentional problem that draws you towards you know, early onset substance use and, 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 and maintains a heavier and problematic pattern of substance use. It seems intuitive, but when you really start to try to think about it, it's, it's, it's not obvious why some, you know, some of these mental health concerns or learning difficulties would make someone want to use a substance that um, actually exacerbates the problem in most cases.
1: Welcome to HopeStream, a podcast for moms and dads who have kids with substance use disorder or who are in treatment or early recovery. I'm Brenda Zane, fellow mom to a child who battled an addiction to drugs and who almost died from multiple fentanyl overdoses. So I see you and I feel your pain, and I created this space for people just like us. HopeStream is a space where we focus on you, your health, sanity, and well-being, And I also bring expert resources to help you navigate this scary and confusing world of teen and young adult substance use. This is where you'll find your tribe, and I'm really glad to have you with me. So let's get into today's episode. But first, this episode is supported by The Stream. You might be listening to this podcast and wondering who else out there is dealing with the kinds of issues you are. Well, there are thousands of moms just like you who are struggling to help their kids and who want to have a more positive, personal, and supportive place to connect with other moms who get it. The Stream is an online Pay What You Can membership where moms who have kids struggling with substance use focus on their own health, wellness, and sanity with no judgment and no distraction because it's not on Facebook. We have weekly events, a book club, yoga classes, workshops, and great conversations. Being a member of the stream gives you an even deeper connection beyond the podcast, where you get to interact with amazing moms and me every day. So if you'd like to hang out with us after the episodes, you can learn more and join us at brendazane.com forward slash the stream. The first two weeks are always free. Then you pay whatever you can. I would truly love to see you there. Now for today's episode. Hello, friends. Welcome. I am really excited for you to hear from my guest today, who has developed a unique and groundbreaking drug and alcohol prevention program for tweens and teens that is delivered in schools. And it helps kids recognize areas of their personalities that might increase their risk for substance use. And I had never heard of a program like this. And so, I did some detective work and I tracked down Dr. Patricia Conrad to see if she would come on the show and share more about her work and about this specific program on HopeStream. And so today you get to hear the conversation that we had. And I will introduce Dr. Conrad, but I'm going to have to edit her a bio because she has done So much and is so accomplished in this field of mental health and adolescence and addiction and neuroscience um, that it would literally take 10 minutes just to give her due credit. But to give you just a glimpse, um, Dr. Conrad is a clinical psychologist and a professor of psychiatry at the University of Montreal. She's an associate member of the departments of both pediatrics and neuroscience there. And Dr. Conrad's research focuses on the causes and consequences of substance use and mental disorders from a developmental perspective. And she has developed this targeted drug and alcohol prevention program that we're going to talk about today called Preventure. And it was evaluated in multiple international trials and is now recognized as an evidence-based program in the U.S., by the U.S. Surgeon General and the also the UNODC's International Guidelines on Drug Prevention. She has written a lot. She is very busy. She has published over 200 peer-reviewed articles and has cited over 16,000 times in scientific literature. And her publications are covered in all kinds of media, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, CNN, CBC, BBC, and I could go on. Um, so needless to say I'm extremely grateful for Dr. Conrad coming on the podcast and I really want to get into this conversation that we had so I will let you hear now from Dr. Patricia Conrad with Preventure. Welcome, Dr. Conrad. I'm so thrilled to have you here today and to be talking with you about what I think is a really, really exciting body of work that you have. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on with me today.
0: Oh, thank you. It's it's my pleasure. I hope you and all your listeners are keeping well during these extraordinary circumstances. And thank you for keeping an eye on the issue of, of substance use, because despite the, the fact that we're in a Another major pandemic, we, 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 we can't lose sight of the fact that we were experiencing, at least in North America, we were experiencing another major health crisis that really hadn't been addressed. So it, it's still there and there's still a lot of suffering happening.
1: Right. Yeah, I know. I do. I feel like uh, it's been sort of pushed on the back burner, like, oh, that opioid crisis that we had going on. Yeah, that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm uh, working hard to make sure it stays It stays at least somewhat above the fold um, for some thank people. You. Yeah. So thank you. Well, before we get started, I always like to let people get to know you just a little bit better as a person. So I have kind of a fun question to ask you to start out with, and that is, what did you have for breakfast this morning?
0: I had an oat bowl. <laughs>
1: that I, yes, an oat I, bowl, with,
0: and I half an oat bowl. I shared the other half with my husband. So, trying to be a little more healthy in my food choices and cut out uh, wheat. So, we're we're trying oat bowls oh. at the moment.
1: <laughs> oh, interesting! Interesting. So, are you think are you doing sort of a gluten free diet at the uh, moment? Yeah, giving it a try, and and
0: cutting, trying to cut down oh. on sugar as well. Don't think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, what do you put in your opal?
0: um I let someone else do that for me. I, it's it's one of those kind of prepared things that uh, that uh, comes in a food delivery service. So, one of the ways I, um, I've, I'm a mother of two children and a very 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 busy <laughs> uh, schedule. So, I make use of a, a wonderful um, kind of food delivery service that that does a lot of the prep for you and then. You still get to feel like you're cooking for your family, but there's a lot less work involved.
1: (laughs) That's brilliant. I love it. And you are, if I'm not mistaken, you're in Montreal. Is that right?
0: That's right. I'm in Montreal. Okay.
1: Well, you're Mm -hmm. my very first international guest. So thank you. (laughs) Excellent. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about, um, I'd love to hear kind of your path to getting to what you're doing now and, and how you came about. Um, doing the work that you're doing. It's nice to sort of get a history of how how people come to to the place that they are.
0: Right. Well, so I'm a a clinical psychologist by training, but I've now found myself as a professor of psychiatry. And uh, I'm based, my my research team is based at a pediatric hospital and a a research center within a generalist pediatric hospital. So uh, I've, I've I've come to this point really through, through my research, just, you know, my, my research, my findings, the data really, um, uh, you know, drove me towards a, a more developmental approach to understanding addiction. So now I'm, I'm a Canada research chair in preventative mental health and addiction and I uh, hold another philanthropic chair on, on in social pediatrics, and I have an appointment in the pediatric department at University of Montreal, and as well as the psychiatry department. So the way I got into it is I started out by studying risk factors for addiction, um, and at the time back in the eighties and nineties, the focus was on the genetic predisposition to alcoholism and other substance use disorders, because it was very widely acknowledged and a you know very repeatable and robust finding. You know, One of the most consistent findings in medical research at the time was the familial transmission of, of, of substance use disorders. And so I, I studied children of alcoholics and tried to understand what they were inheriting. Um, and there, there was a wide variety of, of characteristics that differentiated children from, from families with, with multi-generational family histories of substance misuse uh compared to those who who did not have such histories and um and uh, the 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 variables that appeared to be most relevant and consistent were um, neurocognitive differences so so different you know styles of thinking, um some learning difficulties, um, uh, attentional problems uh executive difficulties. But that there was also a variety of other um, uh, other characteristics that maybe had smaller effects, but, but were nevertheless consistently observed. So, um, I I really set out on this path of trying to understand why risk for addiction is so highly concurrent with risk for other mental health concerns, and um, and and what is it about those risk factors that translate that make. Young people more vulnerable to using and misusing substances so what 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 is it about having a a slight learning difficulty or attentional problem that draws you towards you know, early onset substance use and 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 maintains a heavier and problematic pattern of substance use. It seems intuitive, but when you really start to try to think about it it's 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 not obvious why some you know some of these mental health concerns or learning difficulties would make someone want to use a substance that um, actually exacerbates the problem in most cases. So um, I've spent many, many years uh, develop um, conducting uh, cohort studies where we follow young people through adolescence and try to understand the pathways to, uh, to to the onset and, and misuse of substances. But as a clinician, I have always done that work with, with an eye on developing interventions on the basis of what my, my uh, research reveals. So another program of research that I've maintained ever since the beginning of, of, of my career is, is how how do you develop new intervention strategies that, that help people better manage the risk factors for addiction? And... Um, this has ended up becoming, you know, a really successful approach. Um, it, it's it's a it's a personality based approach. It's an approach that essentially understands how traits like disinhibition or impulsivity that tends to put someone at risk for uh, executive pro- problem, executive control problems, or attentional problems is what is also putting someone at risk for. Early onset substance misuse and and recurrent problems with substances, and so the interventions that I've developed were designed to help someone manage the impulsivity as opposed to the attentional problems or the substance use. Really focus on managing impulsivity, and if you do that really well, the question at the time was, could that actually help someone manage both sets of problems? And that's indeed what we've we've shown through the years using very rigorous randomized Controlled trials uh, involving people with substance use problems, involving young, early, early uh, you know, uh, underage drinkers and, and substance misusers, or even children who have never even been exposed to substances yet—if you—if you teach them how to manage some of these early risk factors for addiction and, and mental health problems, you can help them not only delay the onset of their use, but um, prevent trans um, uh, transition to alcohol problems and other problems with illicit substances and, and mental health concerns.
1: Yeah! Wow, there, that's there's so much in there. <laughs> that's very, <laughs> very, very amazing. Um, a couple of things that sort of popped into my mind when you were saying that is you have really gone upstream. Um, I don't know if you call it upstream or or backstream, but but gone to the root of the, the problem versus, and I love that because I, I really am trying to provide a range of information on, you know, both education and prevention and treatment and all of that, but to, to hear from you that you can go so far back to, to really look at that, you know, I think there's an analogy of, you know, finding people as they've jumped in a river and they're drowning, and, and going upstream and finding out why are they jumping in. Um, this is really the crux of that, and and to know that you're really starting and looking. How young do you look at at children? Like, is this something that that you can start looking at at a very young, like toddler age? Or well, you can. I mean, you
0: can you can identify some some of these risk factors very early on. But but the, the question is that you know, at what point can you? do something about it, um, parent, parenting interventions are, are very effective to um, in, in terms of helping families and children learn to manage um, disinhibited traits as well as internalizing problems or um, more inhibited traits. Um, the difficulty, though, with parenting um, interventions is families tend not to engage with them until there's a problem. So they're not; they tend not to be used, you know, effectively as a, a form of prevention, like really upstream prevention, because it's very difficult. You know, they they take a lot of investment from a family, and so it's hard to get the whole population to, to invest in them. So instead, the strategy that we developed was um, working with schools to deliver skills-based psychological interventions to uh, students um, in the school setting. Where you could use the school context to do a brief screen to identify children uh, as young as 11 12 13 right up to 17 years of age but you know so it can really be done in any grade um, up to about 10 11 years of age I'd say and what's fascinating is that even at 11 years of age a young person is able to tell you yeah I'm more impulsive than my peers or I you know I really am someone who seeks out stimulating experiences or I'm someone who really has a lot more fears than other people and um and so y- y- young people can um you know children y- um older children or or young adolescents can um reliably identify these individual differences they can self report on them and they're highly predictive of whether they go on to develop problems 2 3 and 5 years later so that's what we capitalize on is their ability to self-report. And, and then um, what we do is we help schools to offer a brief targeted skill building program where you invite, um, you invite young people to get together and um, do some goal setting and learn uh, through, a, through a two-session workshop how to identify um, And manage um, one of these four traits. How to um, avoid risky ways of coping with them, and I can explain that a little bit more. And um, and then how to identify the 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 thought processes that uh, are characteristic of these traits and that are implicated in risky decision making and and problematic behaviors. So it's very much a a cognitive behavioral intervention, um, but it also has some goal setting and some Influences of po- positive psychology and motivational interviewing as well. So it's it's using all the the techniques that are used in in clinical psychology, but applied upstream before any problems have had their onset.
1: That's fascinating that at 11 that they can that they themselves can really communicate that. And I'm sure you must ask the questions in a way that feels very natural to them to answer so that they do, kind of recognize those traits in themselves. And I love that you talk about identifying the thought processes, because at that young age, I think a lot of times kids, they have all of those thoughts, but they don't necessarily think of them as a thought process, right? It's just what they think. Um, So that's right for you to make them really aware of, no, this is actually something that you can look at and, and potentially change is really, really powerful.
0: That's right. I mean, when we do these in, in, Workshops with with younger um, adolescents often it's the very first time they've started to make the connection between thinking and feeling and and acting, that um, and uh, also you know the, the the recognition that just because you've had the thought and it's the first thought that comes to mind it doesn't mean that you have to that's the only thought you can have about a particular situation or reaction that you can choose how you react to something. And so that's a pretty novel idea as well. So there is a bit of kind of building metacognitive awareness in the intervention. Um, but but what really sets it apart from other kinds of interventions is that um, it, it's, it's targeted. So what you end up talking about and the skills that you end up developing, working on in these interventions really are focused on these different traits because the understanding is that, you know, that the, the The situations that are considered risky for, let's say, a child who's impulsive compared to a child who is more sensitive to anxiety, the situations will be different. Their thought process will be different. The skills that you need to manage impulsivity in high-risk situations will be different from those that you need to manage a sensitivity to anxiety. So the interventions are very targeted in that way. And a young person who has impulsive tendencies is guided in learning to manage impulsivity specifically.
1: So what are, you talked about, there's four traits, and I'm sure for parents who are listening, um, and I and I talked about this on a recent episode, that I've noticed consistently um, when I talk with parents about their kids, there's some typical things that come up all the time. So I'm curious to know, what are those the traits that you focus on?
0: So, uh, you know the, the the work that I do is is always uh, empirically based. So these th- this has been demonstrated, you know, quite consistently in my work and others' work, work. It's it's there isn't just one personality trait. So this notion of the addictive personality doesn't really stand up to empirical investigation. But what does seem to stand up is the notion that there are multiple traits that are linked to risk for for, for substance use disorders. Um, so impulsivity I've already mentioned. So the tendency to kind of act rashly without thinking. Um, but another one is, is thrill seeking or, or sen- sensation, seeking. And that can be different from impulsivity. Sensation seekers aren't necessarily always impulsive. They really tend to be driven by the desire to experience intense, arousing situations and get bored very easily. Um, but other traits like, um, hopelessness. Uh, are also very much implicated in risk for for early onset problematic use in adolescence, and tends to co-occur with risk for depression. And then there's another couple of traits that we focus on. So one is um, anxiety sensitivity; it actually acts as a a, a pr- protective factor early on because so this is a trait that is um, very much implicated in risk for panic related anxiety disorders, and it. Um, it's not so much a tendency to, to experience a lot of anxiety, but when you experience anxiety, you have a real fear of your own physiologic arousal or sensations related to expe- being anxious. Um, so, um, items that would, would detect anxiety sensitivity would be something like um, it, it scares me when I feel my heartbeat. So what's interesting about that trait is that it kind of it protects young people early on because they're, they, they tend not to try substances early on because, out of fear of what the substances will do to their physiology. But once they've transitioned to substance use, they very quickly realize, wow, there are certain substances that really are good at helping them manage their, 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 the, the, the anxiety and the arousal symptoms that they so fear. And so they telescope more quickly to, to becoming dependent on certain types of substance use. So those are the four. And then um, we've also more recently been focusing on a couple of others. So there's a, another trait that, that only characterizes a small portion of the population, but it it's called psychotic-like experiences or this tendency to... to maybe attribute too much salience to certain odd perceptual experiences. It's a very rare trait. It's more often observed in very young, in in kind of very young adolescents and, and, and and children grow out of that, but there's a small portion of the population, about 7% of the population who, um, who struggle with that all the way through adolescence. And they're the ones who you would, You've probably seen Brenda in your in your clinic who, who develop difficulty with substance use and and uh, psychotic symptoms and disorders. So that would be a, a fifth trait.
1: Mm. And is does, does this um, I know you've done this with thousands of, of young people, is this pretty across the board, male to female? Are there differences there that you see? Yeah,
0: there there are some differences. So you tend to see you know higher. Impulsivity scores in males and higher anxiety sensitivity scores in females. Mm. But you, it's 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 more that there's a slight imbalance. um, But you you can you see these traits uh, in both genders. Um, And in fact, you know many people have some. Degree of these traits in them. It exists in everyone. It's just some people experience these more intensely than others.
1: Right. And for, especially for parents, I think it can be such a confusing time as your kids get into that 12, 11, 12, 13 year old age. They do start to make changes just naturally as adolescents. And then so. It's hard to tell sometimes what is sort of normal teen, you know, and tween um, behavior, and what is not. And so something like this that gives you that, like you said, that empirical data to say yes, your child might be impulsive, and a level of that is normal, but. This level might be something to pay more attention to. Is that sort of a, is it kind of a, a litmus test in a way for parents?
0: I I fully agree with what what you've just said. I, that's exactly it. Is um, in child and adolescent psychiatry and psychology often, you know, the the parents and and the child and the school might be detecting that things are are little, you know, that there's a struggle, that things are uncomfortable, that you know, may, the child might be coming distant. But really, the only way to Access services in many in many parts of the world, or to for everyone in the family to agree that this child requires some kind of intervention, things have to escalate to a, you know a very high level and um and what we're suggesting in this approach is that um, you know that that can often be a two year period where where symptoms and difficulties are evolving and having an impact on learning at school and friendships and so on, and that schools should take a bit more of responsibility and being a bit proactive in terms of reaching out to, to children, allowing them the opportunity to self-report on the existence of these traits and how they feel, how, you know, how much of, of these traits they're experiencing, and allow them opportunities to do something about it. Um, and what's amazing is that when you offer this program in a school and you and you advertise it, you, you know, in a in a way that uh, that that is uh, accurate, but also that it, you know um, is is positive and and focuses on the preventative nature of it. But eighty five percent of students sign up for the program, so they're interested in this. They're interested in learning the skills and the way we way we advertise it is. We say this is a, a a workshop where you learn about your personality, you learn about your personal strengths, maybe some of your personal weaknesses, and you learn to, to skills to help channel your personality towards your long-term goals. And when you put it that way, and when it's offered to a wide range of students, regardless of whether they've started to experience problems or not, what you find is that overwhelming overwhelmingly um, the majority of, of adolescents would like this kind of assistance.
1: Yeah, I I think as an adult, it sounds like something I would like, (laughs) you know, when you put it that way. Yeah, it's really, that is such a, I was going to ask you that, how you position this so that it doesn't come across as, you know, something specifically geared towards preventing, you know, addiction or or substance use. So that's really helpful to know. Um, And yeah, that sounds really positive. and, And I would imagine as teens are going through those, those years are so hard, you know, anyway, just the confusion and the peer pressure just to have something that sounds like a solid tool to, to, to use, to kind of help ease that path sounds like it would be just really empowering for them.
0: Absolutely. And if you'd like to, um, if you'd like to get to, just to hear some testimonials on on our website. So if you go to the preventure.ca website, we have a a, a a number of videos that uh, that uh, offer some testimonials from from adolescents who've been through the program and it, they, they just articulate what they like about it so beautifully. So one thing is you know, just you know the, the feeling of having a place to, to talk about this and and hearing that there are other young people. Uh, who are like them and who who you know, are experiencing some of the same challenges that they're experiencing. So many young people go to these workshops thinking the stuff the stuff that's going through their head, the stuff that they're struggling with, nobody else would understand it. And it's a huge relief to, to them to hear that there are other other young people in the school who they thought had it all together. We're also having some, you know, questioning. How, how do I interpret certain situations? You know, am I overreacting, or who even self-report having had a, a major overreaction at times? So, uh, I guess what I didn't mention is that these are group-based, and the more we do research on these, the, the this intervention approach, the more we learn from young people that they they really learn from each other better than learning from a facilitator. So they're 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 guided by a a very well-trained counselor or teacher um or a psychologist but um what the facilitator does is it it presents information and facilitates discussion but uh, experientially the young people learn from each other and not from the facilitator necessarily it's also manual based so they all they they, they'll they'll take a, a really helpful work booklet home with them and get to continue learning that way. So.
1: Yeah. And like you said, it, this is, this is such a great sort of um, non-emergency way to get that information. So you're not waiting until they're in the principal's office or you're not waiting until they've, you know, gotten caught with marijuana in school or something. This, this is that, um, entree that seems like it's a very positive way to get that information versus sort of a um, uh, discipline, you know, corrective way to do it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. Um, and it also, you know, by training schools and and uh, counseling teams or special education teams on how to deliver the approach, it it also provides them with tools. And a and a and a dialogue that they can have with students as problems do arise, should they arise down the road. So do you remember that? Remember that workshop we talked about? Remember your impulsivity? Well, is this a situation in which maybe you reacted impulsively? And it just allows them to quickly move into this is what often what the counselors at the schools will tell us to, it allows them an, an opportunity to, to quickly pick up on and engage in a, in a, in a constructive type of, uh, you know, discussion and intervention.
1: And so, so you run, and this is the preventure program. I just want to make sure that we. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I, I couldn't remember if we said that or not. Um, so it's called yeah. Preventure And so it's, it's actually administered through schools, right? So this is something that a school district kind of, uh, adopts or how does that actually work? How does it come to be?
0: It's, it's a pretty flexible program. So there are all kinds of variations of implementations of the of the program. It, you know, we've got certain districts in the US where the county judge has decided this, this should be available to all youth, you know, within schools so mm. that, you know, I don't have to deal with the ramifications much further along from a, from a, you know, punitive or legal perspective. Um, and, or it could be, uh, a school commissioner, an individual school that decides we're going to bring the program to our students. Um, so it, you know, there, there, there are also, um, Organizations potentially like yourselves, there are there are organizations in the U.S. where, of for example, families who have lost children to addiction, and these are charitable organizations now that are just offering to train schools and bring the program to their communities, Mm -hmm. um, or deliver it themselves. Um, So, so essentially, what we advocate though is that you you deliver the program in the school because that's where most. Young people can be found, especially at younger ages. So, in the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, they, they you know they tend to have better attendance and they tend to be at school, and and that's where you can reach the the greatest number of young people um, for the program.
1: Right. Yeah, that's yeah. You would think that like the drug courts and some of those, like you said, that are feeling the impact down downstream. That that would be really. Um, motivating to say, hey, what can we do to, to make sure we're catching these kids earlier? And if a, if a parent sees, because you know, obviously the parents are um, seeing their kids so closely as they're growing up, and if the parent's listening and they've seen some of these traits that you've talked about, um, what would your advice be as far as you know? Maybe they're not ready. Maybe this program isn't available there. Are there things that they can do if they're seeing like, oh, that kind of sounds like my kid? Um, what uh-huh. would your like? What course of action would you recommend that they take?
0: You know, so uh, first of all, I you know don't don't just try to convince yourself that they'll grow out of it. You're you're better off addressing it in advance than waiting for something to. Become a bigger problem. Uh, I recommend to parents that you know, if you're detecting some you know, traits of, of intolerance, of, of anxiety or fear, or that tendency to have a, re- a, a more pessimistic outlook on on things, or if your child struggles with executive um, control and, and uh, impulsivity or, or thrill seeking you want to address it before they enter into those riskier years. You want them entering into adolescence with skills that help them manage these traits, because if they're unmanaged, they, they, they will lead to substance misuse. It's they're very directly linked to substance misuse. Um, Now the question is, how does a parent do something about it? How does a parent help a young person do something about it? Now, as everyone with a child, uh, you know, let's say at about fourteen to seventeen years of age, there, there, there's a switch that goes off at about fourteen, right? Where, where teenagers just stop listening to messages from parents and actually kind of twist them around and really tend to 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 be turned off by messages that come from adults right i have one of those (laughs) right now i have a 14 year old (laughs) yeah and but that's a natural process that's that's part of that's part of you know young people and um and a new generation developing plasticity flexibility and the ability to basically adapt to a new environment should the environment um change from one generation to the next it's that's important for humanity that adolescents, um uh, you know not just for the individual but for humanity that that the next generation be ultimately plastic and able and able to adapt to a new environment and and so what that means for the individual adolescents is that they are primed to be out there and be exploratory and sample new ideas and and also um, be critical of the ideas that are just passed down from the previous generation. Um, They're also primed to learn more from their peers than they are from their parents. And so all that to say that this program is best administered by your school in a group format than it is administered by a parent at the moment. Um, and so what could a parent do if they notice that their children have these traits is that you could put pressure on your school to, you know, get this kind of program or other, other similar programs in place at your school. Every school should be delivering some kind of, um, you know, skills-based preventative intervention for substance use. It is unacceptable that your child is attending a school that is either not providing Evidence-based prevention, or providing an intervention that is is unhelpful, such as just providing testimonials, or, um, for example, former drug users who, or, who go and and um, tell their story, or someone going in and talking about all the harms associated with drug use. We know that those 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 programs don't work. Programs that transfer skills to students and to the community are the programs that are effective in preventing substance use. So what parents could do is put pressure on the school to allow these programs to happen to, they must become more comfortable allowing schools to deliver targeted and preventative interventions. Right. So that's another barrier for schools is sometimes schools want to deliver these programs and parents say, my kids don't need it. Or, you know, I don't want anyone thinking there's a problem here and you, and parents have to become more comfortable being proactive about just, you know traits, as opposed to you know it necessarily meaning that there's a problem. But actually, if you're willing and able to deliver uh, a preventative intervention to children or to a community, that means that you're 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 a pretty healthy community, doesn't it?
1: Right, and also you're you're. It sounds like what you're doing is you're helping that person learn how to take that trait that could steer them in a very negative direction, but use it to steer them in a positive direction to meet their goals. And so it's actually, if you're, you know, if if you're a parent who's kind of leery of what a program like this might, might be, I think that's a really interesting, you know, even a side benefit of not only will you be less likely, you know, or delay the use of substances it's actually saying how can you use this passion that you have or this, you know, impulsive impulsivity that you have or the sensitivity and make that into a real positive in your life. And make
0: it into a positive. And many children do talk about how there are some real advantages to having any one of these traits. And we know that, you know, from from a number of personalities out there that, you know, certain impulsive people really have been able to channel their, their impulsivity towards extreme success. Um, and similarly with, uh, anxiety sensitivity and, and even, um, you know, that, that more kind of a hopeless, more pessimistic, um, uh, trait, um, you know a lot of people can manage that and it, and it makes them quite critical thinkers. So they tend to go into professions that involve writing, that's uh, journalism, for example, uh, uh, um, hu- humor and comedy as well, mm. uh, political commentary and so on. So yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of ways in which these traits can be channeled towards you know really successful diversity and in- and creativity. And that's what the program is designed to, to, to try to do. We, we often, um, health research tends to focus on the negative outcomes. And so, yeah, my team is now becoming a lot more interested in understanding how the program also helps young people thrive, not just avoid, avoid problems, but how does it help them thrive? Um, I guess the only other thing to mention is that it, it's interesting. It's not a universal program. So it's not a program that, that you would deliver to everybody. Um, and that is because the targeted nature of the program um, and the very very brief nature of the program you wouldn't want to waste time and resources and everyone's time uh, teaching everyone about impulsivity when really only some people self-report having having di- having difficulty or, or having kind of a, an extreme profile on, on impulsivity so instead of what you do is you reserve your resources and you put a group of impulsive youth together and you have them work on developing these skills and it ends up being a very powerful experience Um, so what that means is that not everyone will get an impulsivity intervention but what's fascinating is that by targeting impulsivity and some of of these other traits in the population what we've shown is that the whole population benefits so um, by, by helping people with these traits be healthier, make healthier choices, avoid early onset substance use, the whole school will benefit and you'll see lower rates of substance use across the board. And so that's another, that's interesting. Yes. Yeah. And we've, we've demonstrated that a few times. So, and that's because we know that there's, there are individual risk factors for addiction and mental health, but there also is a a small contagion component to it as well. So some people come to it just through peer influence other people come into it through just having to cope with some of the difficulties that they're having themselves. And so um, I would say that, you know, the final message to parents is even if you don't think your child has has any difficulties or has one of these traits, that it's it's still a really good idea for you to put pressure on a school to, to deliver such a program and make, you know, that kind of program available in your community because it does have it does have benefits for you and for your child, regardless of what, whether they get it or not.
1: And and I guess worst case scenario, if you, if you don't have this program and, and you're pushing for it, in the meantime, if you do see this, would a, a therapist who, you said these are very cognitively based um, therapies, yeah. at least maybe a therapist who's... You know, trained in CBT, would that be a good place to start if if you're really looking for something? Just you know, immediately.
0: Yes, absolutely. So, um, so they the intervention can also be delivered individually, and uh, has has a similar efficacy. Um, so um, it also you know for pe- for people for young people for adults who are experiencing more. Um, difficulties the program can be uh, extended we call it prévention allongée so uh, allongée is like um, it's a it's a it's a type of coffee where you put a, 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 a an espresso shot with hot water so i think that's called an americano coffee right so.
1: <laughs> it sounds so much better when you say it though
0: <laughs> <laughs> so my students have coined it Préventure Allongée, and the idea is that you, 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 you offer you know, shorter sessions, um, more focused sessions over a longer period of time in, in a more of a psychotherapy format, mm. and uh, that, that tends to work. Very
1: nicely, as well, oh okay. that makes sense. wow i there's a million questions I would love to ask you, but i I know that you you do work in a global capacity, and just everything that's going on in the world right now and and just with you being so tapped in, what are some of the struggles that you're seeing with this you know younger group of people right now? Um, what are they dealing with, and how are you sort of adapting? Because you've got this really great hands-on, very personalized program. What's what's happening now with these kids, and how are you guys sort of pivoting to to adjust?
0: Yeah, that's a, such a great question. Um, you know, there, I I feel that they're really struggling with society's ambivalence about um, substance use. So, you know. What one thing that's happened with cannabis legalization and 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 the adoption of harm reduction strategies is that you know society is is trying to come up with better public health solutions for the addiction crisis. And um, but at the same time, I think there's an ambivalence in society as to whether whether as adults, everyone feels we want to do what we, what it really takes to protect the public from the harms from substances. And I think, you know, the, the, the data that do exist on this suggests that it, actually you need more control. You need to convince people to use and, and you know, drink less, um, smoke less cannabis, smoke it less often, uh, less often, less frequently, Uh, use lower potency alcohol or cannabis or cigarettes and so on. And so I feel that what's happening with young people is that sometimes they're they're getting they're interpreting these efforts around harm reduction as a sign that actually, if you do it this way, it's okay, Um, And that they're they're Mm -hmm. actually adopting more and more liberal attitudes towards all kinds of substance use, including prescription drugs because those as well have been, you know, made widely available. Um, And there's also a lot of messages coming from the music industry and and, kind of less less regulated media and television, so that they're just being bombarded with messages about um, drug use, alcohol and drug use. And they're having a really hard time figuring out what is the answer for that. And um, mm-hmm. I, what I think what prevention uh, h- helps them with is that it, it,
1: what's,
0: what's interesting about the program is that you, you don't really talk very much about alcohol and drugs, although it has a, you know, a very consistent preventative effect on substance use. You're mostly talking about their personality and, and how they're coping. But one way in which you do refer to substances is this idea of whether it's okay to use substances as a way to cope. Most young people really don't don't agree with that. So they're still ambivalent about whether it's okay to use or not. Most will by the end of high school will say it's okay to use, because everyone uses. But what they're not comfortable with is wow. this idea that you're using as a way to cope. And once they see that substance use is often linked to using to cope for, for and, and if, if they see it as using to cope with their personality they become very uncomfortable with it. And it is a driver of why many choose not to use after the intervention. So I think that's the big challenge right now is helping young people understand these shifts in society about how we are understanding, you know, what what is the the new place for for substances in our society? We're becoming more liberal. um, And what what, uh, measures need to be put in place in order to protect the population from... The reality of these is that these are substances of abuse, and they have addiction potential to them. And we need to do—you need to put things in place in order to protect young people and the general population from the harms from substances.
1: Yeah, they—they are getting mixed messages. I agree that there's, you know, there's sort of this message of everything in moderation, um, and and with harm reduction, which you know is probably great for a, a small population who are very, very deep into their addiction and, and harm reduction is better than the alternative. But when you're talking to an 11 or 12 or 13 year old, um, it would be so confusing to see all of that.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I, I agree because what we know about substances is that the earlier you use them, the more you use them, the more frequently you use them and more heavily you use them, the more at risk you are. And, and mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, moderation message would be is a tricky one for young people because you don't want them using in moderation daily.
1: <laughs> right. And and moderation to somebody in that age group is is, you know, a little suspect yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so now have you had to shift to an online model or how are you coping with the whole COVID-19 scenario?
0: Yeah, so we have. So Preventure has shifted to we 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 got really quickly activated and um, we were told to stay home. And then we, we all just decided this is this is what had to be done. So Preventure is now available in an online format. Um, and it's also, it, remain, it, it maintains its flexibility in that whoever's using it can use whatever um, meeting platform that um, their institution approves. So whether it's Zoom or WebEx or, or a homegrown program, you can use that. And we've made the intervention material available in digital format so that um, uh, therapists and facilitators can still host meetings, uh, groups and and deliver the intervention. And we even have a a new kind of training format so that uh, we can help therapists become comfortable delivering a a group intervention on Zoom. Um, So, so, that's what's happening right now. So all of it's been made available and, and certain communities are picking it up. But to be honest, schools are extremely overwhelmed. Oh, and yeah. in my in my province where where we've been terribly affected by by COVID, um, terribly, terribly affected, that um, all the school counselors have been seconded to go and work in the seniors' homes. So they aren't even available to, to deliver. Uh, virtual interventions at the moment. Oh, wow. Mm. Yeah. So I don't know what's happening in in various states across your country, but um, even though there's there's certainly a desire to continue reaching out to young people, uh, it's difficult to do it through the school system because the school systems are so overwhelmed and school-based counsellors
1: yeah this may be i wonder if you'll see a shift It'll be interesting to see if there's a shift into more like we have the boys and girls club here sort of you know community based clubs um I wonder if that will need to you know shift for a while as schools are understandably you know overwhelmed with having to to change to an online delivery uh-huh. yeah. is uh-huh. is there a um a question that you get asked all the time or sort of a scenario that you see that you would like to clear up you know if we could give dr conrad a a billboard in the middle of downtown uh, montreal what would it say what would you like to say to to parents or to to people in general
0: um yeah i think just 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 keep working on your keep working on your mental health it's it's a uh, it's just an ongoing uh, com- commitment that everyone has to make in order in order to uh, address address this issue um, um, I think I guess that's the message is just you know just keep plugging away and working and focusing on your mental health
1: well and and, and I, I love that you say that because I think it it does help Um break down that stigma that you know working on your mental health means there's something wrong with you and and this program too to introduce to to kids at a young age to say that thinking about your mental health and thinking about this and and putting plans together is a healthy thing to do um, it's a positive thing to do rather than making it shameful Mm -hmm. or making it feel like Mm -hmm. oh you know I have some big problems so so that makes a lot of sense thank you well we are at time and I, I want to be respectful of your I know incredibly busy schedule, so I just thank you so much for sharing with us the the prevention program and your thoughts sort of on what's going on with our, our young people here in North America. Um, I will direct people to the program and to your website and all of your research um, in the show notes, so that'll be there. And thank you so much for your time.
0: Oh, that well, was a pleasure. thanks for all your questions. That was a lovely interview and you. You've managed to keep it uh, in, in a one hour pr- yes. to, 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 to the minute, which is very yes. impressive.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, I, I definitely respect everybody's time and, and I know that you're very busy. So I just appreciate it so much. And I look forward to staying in touch and I'll be following what you're doing.
0: Great. Well, yes, please do keep in touch. That was my pleasure.
1: Again, I am just so grateful to Dr. Conrad for coming on today and for sharing her vast, vast knowledge of adolescents and teens. And I think it's so great that there's a way that we can identify early on those kids who might have some of those personality traits that can lead to a higher risk for substance use. And if you are in the mood to do a little reading, you can download my free ebook. It's called Hindsight three things I wish I knew when my son was addicted to drugs. And that title is pretty self-explanatory. So I will just let you download that and get the information that you might need to help you during this difficult time. It's at brendazane.com forward slash hindsight. Thank you so much for listening. I will meet you back here next week.